Today we continue our journey through 1 Corinthians. We're on chapter 10, if you're keeping track, um, if you're just joining us maybe for the first time. Um, we have taken the last uh, 10 weeks, I guess nine weeks before today, um, and are journeying a chapter at a time through the letter of 1 Corinthians. Uh, we have a longer passage of text to read today, and I'm reading from um, verse 14 through the end of the chapter. So uh, as you're able and as you're... Uh, Willing, would you please stand uh, in order to to respect the word of God this morning as we read? I'm going to start in chapter 10, verse 14, and read through the end of the chapter. So then, my dear friends, run away from the worship of false gods. I'm talking to you like you are sensible people. Think about what I'm saying. Isn't the cup of blessing that we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Isn't the loaf of bread that we break sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one loaf of bread, we who are many are one body, because we all share the one loaf of bread. Look at the people of Israel. Don't those who eat the sacrifices share from the altar? What am I saying then? That food sacrificed to a false god is anything, or that a false god is anything? No. But this kind of sacrifice is sacrifice to demons and not to God. I don't want you to be sharing in demons. You can't drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You can't participate in the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or should we make the Lord jealous? We aren't stronger than he is, are we? Everything is permitted, but everything isn't beneficial. Everything is permitted, but everything doesn't build others up. No one should look out for their own advantage, but they should look out for each other. Eat everything that is sold in the marketplace without asking questions about it because of your conscience. The earth and all that is in it belong to the Lord. If an unbeliever invites you to eat with them and you want to go, eat whatever is served without asking questions because of your conscience. But if someone says to you, this meat was sacrificed in a temple, then don't eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. Now, when I say conscience, I don't mean yours, but the other person's. Why should my freedom be judged by someone else's conscience? If I participate with gratitude, why should I be blamed for food? I thank God for So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you should do it all for God's glory. Don't offend either Jews or Greeks or God's church. This is the same thing that I do. I please everyone in everything I do. I don't look out for my own advantage, but I look out for many people so that they can be saved. Follow my example just like I follow Christ. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. We say thanks be to God. Please be seated. So a longer passage today from 1 Corinthians 10 as we look at the text. And I was was chatting with uh, the staff a little bit on Tuesday as we meet for staff meeting. um, And was talking about how the the world and, and the church sometimes falls into this habit uh, of creating these two kind of boxes that we put life into, okay? So we have this sacred box over here, and we put in this box and and into this uh, group of experiences, going to church and prayer and reading the Word and and the different disciplines that we do and the different habits that we make. And over here we kind of have our, our secular life. 
Um, and, and all the rest goes into that box. Um, I'm reading this this month. Uh, my devotional habit has me reading excerpts from a book by Barbara Brown Taylor, where she calls, or from a book called uh, "An Altar in the World." And the point of her her text, the, the the major thesis of this book, is that everything, everything that we see, all that we see, all that we experience, goes in that sacred box. Goes in that sacred box. Um, there's a there's a there's a smaller book uh, by by a guy named Brother Lawrence, uh, and the title of the book is "Practicing the Presence of God." Brother Lawrence was was a, a Carmelite monk, lived in a, a Carmelite monastery, with a vow of a life of some simplicity, and his work was in the kitchen. He 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 started out in the kitchen, and he just scrubbed dishes. This book talks about the lessons that he learned about doing dishes. Now, I've found this particularly helpful in my own life simply because I end up doing a lot of dishes. Um, when you have when you have seven kids, uh, there tends to be quite a few dishes that pile up in the sink from time to time. Um, but how many nights as I've the, the house falls quiet and I and I start to scrub dishes? have I thought, there's great joy as I scrub this dish. That's not normal. That's not normal for me to think that way. It takes intention for me to think that way because I get sick of dishes. I get really sick of dishes. And yet Brother Lawrence encourages me and says, you can find God in this place if you want to. You can let your mind go numb. You can even get bitter. You can even struggle a little bit, Trent. Or you can find grace and joy as you serve your family and as you remember that this is an act of worship too. Even the dishes go in the sacred box. I struggle sometimes, I'll admit. I struggle. But we have a tendency to do this, that the sacred stuff kind of goes over here and the rest of, rest of my life is over here hidden in this other box. Paul is really speaking out against that in this, in this first section. From, from verses 14 to 22, for Paul, as he counsels the church, he says, you, you can't escape, you can't set aside this worship thing for, for everything that we do here on this earth pertains to God and is a big deal. The, 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 the table at which we worship, that which we um, worship and connect with God is, is a big deal. And Paul says, don't take that lightly. One of, one of the ways that Paul teaches about this and, and the metaphor that he uses here uh, is in the realm of communion, this sacred meal that was, was given to us by Jesus on the night he was betrayed. And he breaks into the, to a lesson here that revolves around this imagery, revolves around the table, the table of Eucharist. And as he talks and he shares early in this, in this passage about what it means to, to eat at the Lord's table, there's really two things that stand out. First of all, he's saying this meal that we share, this remembrance of Jesus Christ is important. It means a lot. We don't take this lightly. 
This isn't something casual that you do, but it dignifies that process and that, that ritual of, of gathering with the community of faith, of breaking bread together and sharing the cup and saying, this is Christ's body, which was broken for you. This is the blood of Christ, which is poured out for you. But the second thing Paul does is he says, this is big enough for us to be careful. That don't worship false gods in this moment. Don't, don't share the table with something that's unworthy. There's power in that one loaf and there's power in that one cup. In fact, for, for the Nazarene church, this is one of the, the things that until, until you're ordained, you don't have the right to serve communion. That, that you don't, that it's, it's inappropriate in our, in our places of worship for communion or Eucharist to happen without an ordained minister present. To say this is Christ's body that we share in this day. This cup is the cup of the new covenant which is poured out. That's why we consecrate the elements in worship. That's why we share it in, in a service that includes word being preached and worship being offered. As we partake in the elements of communion. So this leads to Paul's concern about sharing this table with these false gods. He says, this practice has no place with the people of God. I don't want you to be sharing with the demons, he says in verse 20. In verse 21, you cannot participate in the Lord's table and participate in the table of demons. Paul says, that's not right and that's not appropriate. But then, after strictly prohibiting it, after, after saying this is, this is not something that we can do and we can participate in, <laughs> Paul likes to be a little confusing. And then he says, well, everything is permitted. Okay, eat what's put before you, but not, not if somebody calls you out. Paul's, Paul's kind of talking out of, uh, out of both sides of his mouth again. You know, do this, don't do this, don't. And you can get to the end of the chapter and scratch your head and say, What's going on? How does this all fit together? Let's see if we can, we can unpack it together somewhat reasonably as we go through this, through this passage. Okay? First of all, this is, this is a passage that's written in context of what we've been studying. And as you go back a few weeks, if you've had a chance to, to, to listen, um, <clears throat> even three weeks ago in chapter seven, we talked about marriage, right? And, and in marriage, <laughs> Paul kind of does the same thing. Well, it's good to be married and it's good to not be married. So if you're not married, don't get married. But if you have to get married, go ahead and get married and, and, the point of that chapter being marriage doesn't define us. That we find our identity in Christ. That in all we say and all we do and whatever marital status we have, we live our lives for Christ. And then chapter 8, we talk about meat. Uh, and, and this kind of loops back into this chapter again. But uh, the meat that's sacrificed is really actually sacrificed to false gods, and so that's not really anything. Um, but do people know 
what you're eating? Do people know that you, 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 don't, you don't dignify those false gods as actually being gods? And so when they see you consuming that meat, can that be interpreted as reverence? to that God or endorsing that God. So be careful, Paul says. Be careful what you do. Chapter 9, last week, for the gospel, which doesn't change, I will become as my audience to help me communicate. And he's really wrapping up this whole part of this section of the letter here uh, in chapter 10 when he says, everything, everything's permitted, but not everything's beneficial. For the people of God, not everything's beneficial. I think it was, uh, it's easier for us to think, well, it was, it was easier back then. You know, you could identify the false gods a little easier back then. They had these temples of worship to these false gods, especially in the, the Greco-Roman area. They had a god for everything. Okay, have you, if you studied uh, Greek and Roman mythology, you have god of the sun and the god of the sea and gods for this and gods for that. The god of war, the god of love. And, and it's easier, it's easy for us to think, well, we don't, we don't see all those, we don't, we don't see all those temples of worship today. Today, false gods are a little more subtle, but they are certainly still present. We have the false god of consumerism, right? What, what, what is it when you need to go buy a new toy? What's your toy? A new fishing pole, a new gun, a new phone, a new, uh, electronic device, a new outfit. Uh, I have a friend who, who says the, the, the new temple to the false god is the shopping mall, right? So you walk in that front door and everything's at your disposal. You've got little pockets that we go for shopping for your clothes and you've got shopping for your electronics over here. Man, retail offers a promise that it just can't fulfill. That that has become our new false god. <laughs> After COVID, maybe it's Amazon. I don't know, because everybody's shopping online these days. But certainly, you can get in that mode. And Paul's response to the false god is, run away, run away. Verse 14, so then, my dear friends, run away from the worship of false gods. It's all sparkly things. <laughs> it's all sparkly things. We can get so caught up, so enamored, so mesmerized in all that's to be offered. And the imagery here beckons us back to what we believe about the Eucharistic meal, that we are one as a body. And there's a deep and worshipful connection with the one who the elements represent. And we can't treat the world that way. We can't get caught up in the false gods and in the chasing of the false gods as we worship. And yet as we turn again to this marketplace food that was clearly there was an issue. The Corinthian church had had problems about people saying, well, I don't eat that food. Why are you eating that food? Paul relaxes his stance and says, we have a bit of freedom in this area. and connects back to the fact that, that all of creation is God's. It loops back to what we believe 
that we know that God is creator. (laughs) We also know that we aren't him, right? That's the basics. But Paul carves out this space where, where we don't need to travel, where we can say, you know what, I can, I can avoid this for the sake of another person. For the sake of another person, we're, gonna, we're going to avoid this area. We're going to stay away from this. In doing so, Paul doesn't say it's wrong. Paul doesn't say that eating that marketplace food is wrong. What he says is causing your brother or sister to stumble is what we avoid. Just this, it, it's probably not best. It's not, it's not beneficial. So that's why we stay away. I'd originally thought about this passage, and as I took a look at it, I thought, man, what, what's, what's the hill that Trent's willing to die on. <laughs> Just like, what, what, what is it that when I read this, everything is permitted, but everything isn't beneficial? What are those things that I struggle to say? But Paul says it's permitted. He said everything's permitted. What's that, what's that hill, that, that, that strong-willed child in me that says, well, I don't want to give this up? And I realized that that's not the focus of this message. That, 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 that focuses everything on, on the negative half of this equation. What's the message that Paul is saying? He's saying everything is God's. Everything is God's. That we're entitled to all that God offers. He even quotes Psalm twenty twenty four in verse 26. He says, the earth and all that is in it belong to God. And as his worshipers and as his followers, we claim that today. But the most important part of God's creation, that point at which he said, you know, what we've created, what I've created is good. A point at which he turned to very good is the creation of his children, his creation of you and me. And that the most beneficial thing the most beautiful thing that we can do for one another is say yeah everything's permitted but for your sake for your sake for your sake i'm not going to do this i'm going to step back i'm going to say i i surrender my rights i surrender what i'm permitted to do because it's not Beneficial. We are for each other, church. That's our job. That's our responsibility. That's our privilege to be for one another. If COVID has taught us one thing, we are for each other. I hope you've felt that. I hope you've felt that you've had a family here, that you've had people to, to call out to, people to, to, to check on you. But you've also had people to check on. That you've had a family to to reach out and connect with. We have to be. But there's an element of culture that fights against that. And, And you know what I've found in my life? It's harder to receive. It's harder to receive. I can be enough. 
I'm strong enough. I can do enough. I'm a self-made man. I can watch a YouTube video, figure out how to do that. I'm strong enough. The power and the privilege of the church is that we come together as family and say, how can I help? Paul's message isn't anti-strength. The message isn't be weak, be lazy, be incompetent. The message becomes stay connected. Bear one another's burden. Serve one another in love. These are Paul's instructions to the church. This is the theme that you read throughout all of the letters to all of his churches. And for Corinth that was struggling with marketplace meat, marketplace food, he says everything is permitted. But what's beneficial? How do you make space for your sister? How do you make space for your brother? What builds up the body of Christ? That's us. What builds up the body of Christ? And we do it all for the glory of God. I think, I think, as I read Paul's letter in 1 Corinthians 10, two things. First one is run away from false gods, from those sparkly things that catch our eye, that promise us happiness. Just buy this. Just do this. Just live this way. They all fall flat today. And Paul tells us that. He's plain. He's clear. Run away. And the second truth is while, while everything is permitted, not everything is helpful. And his criteria is, A, does it glorify God? And B, does it cause another to stumble? If it doesn't measure up, it's, it's not worth it, church. We fight against our strong-willedness, and we say, I give it up. The instruction for Corinth today is the same as the instruction for us. Lord, shape me today. As you will. It's true. All other ground is sinking sand. So we stand on Christ today. Amen? Amen. Amen. As you go today, I just want to remind you that the box is back there. You can drop prayer requests in there. If you have tithes and offerings, you can do that. And then a reminder that we're going to congregate outside instead of in our lobby today. Do you want to share with the benediction with me today, sweetheart? This is Jane. She likes to help out. So today, would you extend your hands as we receive the benediction? Glory to God who is able to do far beyond all that we could ask or imagine by God's power at work inside of us. Glory to God in the church, in us, through all we say and do and are. And glory to God in that which we say, maybe that's not beneficial. So we don't do those things. Amen? Amen. Amen. Go in the love of Christ.